So in the uh, story of Jesus visiting Mary and Martha, there are actually two stories that unfold at the same time. Uh, one of them is really subtle, and then the other is way more obvious. So Martha invites uh, Jesus and his disciples in, and in that culture, and really I, this would apply to our culture as well to an extent, you've, you've got to offer them something. Uh, and so the Mary sets about making things. It's not like they have refrigeration or a whole lot of storage or stuff like that. Everything's kind of made fresh. And so she gets busy, uh, which we tend to focus on. But the first layer of story that I want to point out isn't Martha, it's actually Mary. Because she is listening at the feet of Jesus. She's probably not supposed to be there. Uh, this is a very traditional culture. And traditional cultures, ancient and modern, typically separate the men and the women. Mary is hanging out with the dudes. That, that's a little weird. Um, apparently it's not scandalous because Jesus doesn't say like, hey, too far. But she's there with the guys. She's not supposed to be. And Jesus honors her. Even more so, it says that she is listening at the feet of Jesus. That's actually a very specific posture of disciple to teacher. So she's there with the dudes, acting like a disciple, like all the rest of the guys, studying at the feet of Jesus. That's actually pretty radical. And then for Jesus to honor her in front of everybody, that's setting a precedent that will actually move forward as the Christian movement expands and will actually shake and alter the way society functions. Because as these earliest Christians start spreading out, suddenly there are these communities that pop up who follow this guy named Jesus, where it's actually really, really good and honored to be a woman. There's, there was a very uh, a remarkable sociological and historical study done uh, that includes this phenomenon, where these Christians are actually honoring girls and women, whereas the rest of the Greco-Roman world, if you have a girl, you've already had a girl, you might find ways to dispose of her, which is barbaric, but not these Christians. In fact, they wanted all of, all, all of the men and women, whoever wanted to be a part of their community, and they were put in a place of honor and equality. And as it turns out, when you have these communities pop up that have lots of women, eventually you have lots of babies. And it doesn't take long for the Christian movement to actually take over the known Western world. And it begins in moments like this. Um, I think that's pretty cool, and it's part of our heritage. Now for the other thing happening. So it's like, that's all happening in a moment. And then we get to Martha. So Martha invites them in. She has to offer them stuff. Uh, 
and she is apparently running around and preparing things like mixing flour and she's probably taking like chickpeas or garbanzo beans and grinding them into kind of like a proto hummus or something like that, which I know it's not ever a good idea to brag from the pulpit, but I'd be willing to put my hummus against hers. Um, as long as I can use a blender and she cannot. But anyway, so she's kind of preparing that and she looks over probably to the other side of the house or maybe through like a dividing wall or something. And she sees her sister and she's upset. And so she tattles on Jesus. Now, we tend to like diminish uh, Martha. Say, oh, she's just being silly. She's being selfish. Uh, of course, she misses the point. But I, I mean, she's not doing the wrong thing at all. Like, from that cultural perspective, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. But she comes and tattles on her to Jesus. And Jesus' response is complicated. When he says there's only one thing that's important or something like that. Now, uh, unfortunately, this is one of those verses that if you read like a bunch of different translations, you could get pretty different verses. And the reason for that is complicated. The, the Greek is complicated, and then the reason why the Greek is complicated is also complicated. So, we're just going to have to leave that where it is. Um, and, and there are some issues that pop up there that probably after uh, we finish Acts in the pastor's Bible study, we'll start actually digging into some of these things. And it's a fascinating world, but we'll just kind of leave it where it is. I think a likely better way to translate it is something more like... Uh, Martha, you are, are worried about a lot of things. You're anxious about a lot, of, a lot of things. Only few are needed, and only one is the most important. Which, even that, is really kind of cryptic and confusing. Uh, because Jesus, he suddenly, like, when he, when he says something like that, only few are needed, but one is most important, Something in our minds triggers natural, at least it doesn't mind, and, and we say like, okay, hold on. Are, you, are, you, are we still talking about food? What, what's happening here? And I think more likely, or most likely, Martha, in inviting Jesus and his disciples over, she is preparing a feast like, she's really digging into it and making a bunch of things. She has in her mind, like, a huge meal. And the first part of it, Jesus is saying, we just need a little bit. Like, I don't need a five-course meal. And then he shifts again. And says, but only one thing is the most important. And he's starting to turn into this whole spiritual listening to the word of God thing. So Jesus first off says to Martha, look, we don't need like a huge meal. Like we've just been walking. It's hot out. You know, I'm not that hungry. Come on. Um, 
I mean, that's just me adding things. Um, but also, Martha, where are your priorities? Now, even though Jesus sort of says some of that stuff, I don't think Martha is necessarily in the wrong. Like, she's not being sinful. It's just her priorities are not where they need to be. Um, she's, in fact, excuse me, in fact, being quite human. Because for her to come to Jesus and try to say, hey, tell my sister to do what I know that she needs to do, which is a tricky way to say that, and what I know I need to do is pull out all the stops, tells me that she's kind of falling into this trap where we get in our minds an expectation for how something is supposed to go. And then when we encounter opposition to how things are supposed to go, something in us starts to panic. That's the anxiety portion of this. And what we do in order to soothe that anxiety will say a lot about us. I like to call this uh, like um, the if-only syndrome. And as a sufferer myself, I know how this feels. Uh, why do I say if-only? Because deep down inside, we are secretly saying to ourselves, if only this would happen, then I will be okay. So Martha has in her mind uh, a, a really nice spread for Jesus and his disciples. Not only, uh, if only I can present this meal to them, then I will be okay and maybe Jesus will be pleased, but also, because things are not going as planned, if only my sister could get her act together and do the right thing, according to me, then I will be okay. So my question to you, and really to us, is at what point do we find ourselves saying, oh, if only this, then I will be okay. Now, spoiler alert, everybody is like this. Absolutely everybody. So maybe a different question is to ask, at what point do you find yourself saying or thinking those people, whether it be your friends, family, community, country, whatever, need to be doing this in order for this to happen because this is actually what's supposed to happen and what you're really saying is if only this was happening, then I would be okay. Let me be a little more specific and not too personal because that would be weird. Um, I cannot handle it if my computer is not working properly. And it's funny, it's meant to be, but it becomes obsessive really fast. If something is broken, that's now what I'm doing. And I will sink hours into making it work. Even if I have no intention 
of really using it for much of anything until like the next day. If something is not functioning properly, I will obsess over it. Now, what I'm, what's really happening here? I'm saying if only that is working in its full capacity, will I be okay? Otherwise, I will feel nothing but anxiety. Now, I would turn it over to you. Not like I'm taking suggestions or something like that. That would be weird if we start sharing kind of our deepest, darkest secrets with the internet watching. That's not a good thing. Um, <clears throat> when do you find yourself with an idea in your head about how things should go and you are not okay if things are not working like that? When do you find yourself feeling like you are no longer in control of the situation? How do you respond? Do you seek to kind of control what other people do? That's what Martha's doing. Thinking that if only they do their thing the correct way, which always means how I think they should do it, then I will be okay. Because it turns out it has nothing to do, or very little to do, with the thing that, you, that, that really matters to you. And instead, what actually it says is that, or what actually is happening is you were saying, if only that, is hap that goes a certain way, then I will feel okay. Now, we all do this. Absolutely every single one of us. So the question is, well, okay, how do I stop? Because I'm miserable and I'm making everyone around me miserable. Well, I'll just give you the first step. Because after that, it's kind of past my pay grade. The first step is to maybe take a step back. When you feel that kind of happening, I tend to feel it like right here, which is why I keep kind of going like this is to maybe take a step back and say, okay, what's my if only in this situation? If only, or like what am I telling myself that if only this thing is working properly or if only my family, my community, my church, whatever, is doing it this way or that way or, or however, then I'm going to be okay. Like where is my anxiety coming from? Recognizing that it is my anxiety, your anxiety. And it doesn't maybe have as much to do with that thing as you might think. Now, that concludes the self-help portion of the sermon. <laughs> but I would encourage you to take some of that to heart. Because a whole lot of stress and gray hairs come out of that exact scenario. Because what Jesus does in response to Martha is he first acknowledges what she's doing. You are anxious about many things. Eric, you are anxious about the fact that your computer might not be working. It is right now, so I'm okay, by the way. Um, that's not a bad thing. 
maybe just a little. When he says to Martha, maybe just a few things. We don't need a huge spread. Maybe, or, or there, at that point, Jesus is saying like, maybe your expectations about how life is going or how this situation plays out need to be adjusted. I find I'm a lot happier the fewer expectations and opinions I have. And then finally, Jesus shifts. Only one thing is necessary. Mary chose that one, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus invites Martha, and we have no idea if she takes it, takes the invitation, and he gives us this same invitation of the posture of instead just sitting at his feet. Of letting go of that thing that feels like it could be the end of the world. And as a professor of mine at seminary once said, or like to say, it's never the end of the world unless it is in fact the end of the world. And then, what difference does it make? Um, and instead just be with Jesus. Sit at his feet. Take a deep breath. Remember the promises that he has made you. Remember that he has brought you into his family. That in order to bring you into his family, all of your sinful desires, all of those dark parts of your heart or your tendencies to control others or to uh, demand that things happen your way, like all of that, that compulsion died with Jesus. That at the beginning of this, this little section, this story, Luke says, now as they were on their way, what he means is as they were on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus knowing this whole time that he is going to die when he gets there, but also knowing he is going to die for the people sitting at his feet, for Martha who's running around trying to kind of manage herself and control things for everybody. So my encouragement to you, as we do our human being things and we run around and we like to try to control things and, and we tell ourselves, if only this happens, then I will be okay and all of that, that no, 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 no. All of that is kind of a lie. There's only one thing you need. And it's to sit at the feet of the one who gave himself up for you. Take a deep breath. Acknowledge that you belong to Jesus. That you have been baptized into his family, into his death. You've been raised to walk in new life when God raised him from the dead. And that everything else just is at best secondary. Amen. I invite you to rise as you are able.